Brain is the most complex. The eyes are the second most complex. It's also the fastest muscle in the body. The fastest muscle in the body. I guess that's why uh, God says it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. right? Because that's the fastest muscle in the body. Uh, I looked up the numbers, how fast it twinkles. I think it was one one-hundredth of a second or something is how fast it works, or maybe even faster than that. And your eyes can see over 10 million colors. They can differentiate between 10 million different colors. Our eyes are amazing what God has given us. But you know, if I tell you to look around this room, everybody look around the room. And then I ask you what you see. Probably we could all have different answers. However many people are in here, we see things a little bit differently. Right? And it's because of our perspective. Right? We see things differently because we have a different perspective. I have a different perspective. I'm standing at a different spot than you are. Right? So we th- see things differently uh, sometimes. Everybody, uh, don't raise your hand or nudge your husband or wife or anything, but we all know those people that they can listen, but they don't really hear. Right? Or they hear, but they don't actually listen. Right? They hear that you're talking, but they're not listening to what you're saying. I see Tiffany shaking her head back there now. Come on. Come on now. Well, the same thing happens. Many times we look, but we don't see what's right in front of us. Right? Funny story about my granny. Sorry, granny. Uh, She has TV in her room. About three, four weeks ago, she lost her remote for a TV. We couldn't find it. I looked everywhere. I know she looked everywhere. Miss Gail, who comes and sits with her during the day, um, looked everywhere. No, we couldn't find it. No idea where that thing was. I was convinced that this thing had fallen in the trash can and we'd taken it out in the trash. Right? That's what I thought had happened. Well, Sunday, we couldn't find her glasses. So I started looking for her glasses. And lo and behold, as I was looking for her glasses, right beside her bed, just barely tucked underneath the bed, was this remote control. It was right there the whole time. We had looked for it and looked for it and looked for it, but we didn't see it. We couldn't find it. Right in front of our eyes. And we couldn't find it. So many times that's what happens to us spiritually. We look, we see things, but we don't really see what is right in front of our face. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is perspective. This picture uh, on the screen that you see, got a number down there, right? Two men, both looking at the number. One says the number is six. One says the number is nine. Who's correct? They both are, right? But they see it from a different perspective, right? But they're still both correct. And so... What I want to to talk to you about tonight is seeing from our human perspective versus seeing from God's perspective. Okay? Do we see things from our own natural eyes or do we see them from God's perspective? And what I want you to understand tonight is that we have to be able to start seeing things from God's perspective instead of ours. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul tells us, he explains it as the eyes of your heart. Right? We have to be able to see things with the eyes of our heart 
through what God sees, not what our human eyes see. There's a story told of these two birds, and these two birds, one is an eagle, one is a vulture. And they're flying above a beautiful national park. Now I love national parks. One of my goals is to visit all of the national parks in America. I I think Granny and I have hit a lot of them, probably 20 or more. Uh, But we still have a ways to go. But that's one of my goals. I love them. They were flying over this beautiful national park. They flew the exact same path, the same altitude, the same speed. And the eagle returned to tell about all the beautiful waterfalls, the streams full of trout, the breathtaking landscapes, the colorful fields, the snow-capped mountains, the herds of wild animals roaming free. And all who listened to that eagle were just spellbound. They were amazed. They all wanted to go. And then the vulture spoke up and gave his report. The vulture said that he hadn't seen much of anything. He saw a few dead carcasses near the road. He saw some trash on the bank of the stream. But that's about it. Not a very lovely report, is it? I want to be like the eagle. I want to have that perspective. I want to have that vision that eye that the eagle has, the eye that is full of light, Scripture tells us. So I want to talk about two Scriptures tonight. I'm not going to make you stand, but the first Scripture is John chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. I believe it's going to be on the screen, so you can follow along with us there or in your Bible. And it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives... And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when he continued asking him, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He who is is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then I want to turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to look at verse 9 through 11 and then skip a few verses. Verse 9 through 11, it says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him 
and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why does your master eat with the publicans and the sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They who behold need not a physician, but they who are sick. And skip down to verse 35. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm happy to have Brother Dane Hall, uh, Brother Hall here tonight. Uh, this is Shelley's. Danny Hall, not Dane Hall. Sorry. Sorry, Brother Danny. But Danny Hall, Shelley's uh, father. He is a, a minister himself. Would you, would you stand up and would you pray over this message tonight, please? Brother Hall. So here in these two stories, we see two very different perspectives. We see the perspective of the scribes and the Pharisees versus the perspective that Jesus had. So I only have two points tonight. I'm going to try to get you out here before it gets too late. Okay? I have two points tonight. My first question, my first question is, how do we see others? How do we see others? Do we see them through the lens, through the perspective of the scribes and the Pharisees? Or do we see them through the perspective that Jesus had of these people? Now these stories here, the first one um, talks about a woman who had been caught in adultery. They caught her in the very act. Right? For some reason they didn't bring the man. Right? Leviticus tells us that the man should be brought too and he should be stoned as well. But they didn't bring the man but they brought her. And the Hebrew word mean, says that they dragged her there. They dragged her there to Jesus. Uh, so it's, it's clear. It's clear that uh, they didn't care about this woman. They, all they saw was a woman who was a sinner. They had no concern for her. They wanted to stone her. They were ready right there to pick up the stones and stone her. But Jesus... He saw this woman in a different light. He saw this woman as a sinner who needed Jesus. He, she needed salvation. The other story talks about um, Jesus eating with, uh, with sinners, with tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes or the Pharisees come and say, well, why is this Jesus? He's supposed to be this... The prophet, the son of God, and he's eating with sinners. What in the world is he doing? Why is he hanging out with those folks? Right? They saw these people with a different perspective. They threw them away because they're sinners. They're no good. 
But Jesus saw them as valuable. He saw them as something that was worthy. Something that needed a, somebody that needed a savior. So my question is, how do we see people? Do we look at people and see them by their sin? I mean, let's be honest. We see a, a drug addict on the side of the street. What do we see? Do we see, oh, that's just an old drug addict. He ain't never going to kick the habit. Or do we see somebody there who needs Jesus? Do we see a sinner who needs Jesus? What do we see? Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Paul instructs the church at Corinth to regard no one according to their flesh. Stop looking at people at their flesh. Don't look at them at their sin, what their sin is. Let's look at their spiritual side. Let's look at them for who they are. Right, we can't throw people away because the, their sin is worse than ours, we think. Right? How, how do we see people? How do we see that person at school, youth, who is bully, or maybe they stole your boyfriend, or they stole your girlfriend. How do we see those people? We say, oh man, I, just, I don't like them, I don't care about them. Or do we see somebody who's lost, who's going to hell, that needs a savior? How do we see people? How do we see, uh, I'm a teacher, I've got kids in class that are challenging and that kid that gets on my last nerve, that I just want to lay hands on them suddenly, right? How do I see that person? Do I see that person as, man, somebody I wish I didn't have in here? Or do I see him as somebody that I can impact? Somebody that I can influence? Somebody who needs a Savior? And maybe I'm the only person who could reach that person, Right? Excellent example. This past Friday, we, uh, we coached a game. We, unfortunately, we, had, we have 30-something people on our team. We had 10 people quarantined. So we had to go down to Little Rock and play a game with only 20 people. We did win. Thank goodness. Um, but after the game, I have, I'm the defensive line coach, and I have a kid, and he's a really, really good defensive lineman. I mean, he could play probably college football at a small college. Um, after the game, his mom came up to me. I uh, never met his mom before. This boy's a senior. And she thanked us for what we were doing, the impact that we were having on him. Uh, but you could tell um, that she wasn't living right. You could tell that years of drug abuse and things like that had affected her and it was still affecting her. And immediately that pricked my heart. It just broke my heart. In fact, I told Tiffany on the way home, I think, uh, about the story. And how it just affected me. And I told her that I, we've got to be able to reach that boy. I've got to be able to do something that can reach him. Because if I don't, look at the lifestyle he may end up in. Look at what he's been living in and taught his whole life. Right? We can't throw people away because they're 
you know, they don't look the same way as us. They don't act the same way as us. They need a, a Savior just like you do. Sometimes we have an us versus them mentality. Right? It's, it's us versus them. And we don't like them. So we're just going to push them aside. Right? We, we've got to stop that perspective. It's not an us versus them mentality. It's not an us versus them uh, perspective. We all need a Savior. We're all in the same position. We're broken. We're not worthy in and of ourselves. We need a Savior just like that person needs a Savior. And we have to be able, as a church, to impact those people. There are people in this community. There are people right outside these doors that are in that situation. And God has called us to impact those people. And when we begin to change our perspective, when we begin to change the way we see other people, things happen. Things happen to us. We begin to have a sense of urgency. We realize that the situation those people are in, the sin that they're in, is going to take them straight to hell. And when we begin to see them as Jesus sees them, as Jesus saw them in these stories, we begin to have a sense of urgency. We begin to be able to minister, to witness, to look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. It gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us a compassion for them. There's a story about a Bible scholar. and This was in one of his books. He was telling about uh, a time when he and a friend had just preached um, several revivals and they decided that they were going to go to the beach and have a, a getaway, you know, just to kind of relax and, and uh, get some peace and quiet. But when they got there to the beach, it's probably in the spring, what did they find? A bunch of spring breakers, right? high schoolers who just graduated or getting ready to graduate, lots of kids celebrating, and of course, what is there? Loud music, right? drinking things that they shouldn't be drinking, right? all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be happening. And he writes that he was deeply disappointed that his evenings of relaxation was going to be shattered by this party that's going on by these teenagers. And so he was getting ready to, to share with his uh, fellow minister his disappointment and his outrage. And when he turned to do that, his fellow minister was crying as he was looking at them. His eyes were filled with tears. And all he said was, teenagers, what a mission field. What a mission field. He had it. He understood perspective. Right? This is not just somebody who's going to ruin his night. These are somebody who needs Jesus. These are people who are desperate for salvation. We have to get it. We have to get that perspective. My second question. How do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves the way that Jesus see us, sees us? Or do we see ourselves through our own eyes? I tell you, I'm harder on myself probably than I am on anybody else. I know, but probably most people. You look at yourself and what you've done and think, man, that was real stupid. Right? Or I, I think about some things I've 
you know, calls I've made in football, and I think, man, that was a real stupid call because it didn't work. Right? I'm hard on myself. Right? So do we see things through the world's eyes, through our eyes, or through Jesus' perspective? The devil is really good at clouding our vision, at getting us out of our perspective and seeing things the way that God does. He's a liar, and he's there to destroy you. He tries to get our perspective off. And you know, the situations that we go through in our lives can change our perspective about ourselves. Now, so many people today deal with abuse, physical, sexual. They deal with relationships that are only there about the physical and not about anything else. And we get to thinking that we're not worthy. We're nothing. But there's a great song... One of my favorites by Colton Dixon. And there, the, the statement in it says, All that matters is I matter. All that matters is I matter. I want you to say that. Goodbye. You say that for me. All that matters is I matter. Say it. All that matters is I matter to you. I matter to Jesus. You matter to Jesus. This world is going to try to destroy you. Your boyfriend and your girlfriend's going to break up with you. You're going to have situations in your life that you can't think you can't get through. And you're going to think that you're worthless. You're unlovable. But all that matters is you matter to Him. You matter to Jesus. God sees us differently than we see ourselves sometimes. Psalms chapter 8 verse 4 and 5 says, What is a man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor. God made you just a little bit lower than the angels. And we think, man, angels, they're big time. Right? Angels are big time. But God made you just a little bit lower than the angels. You're somebody. God made you and you are somebody. He loves you. Psalms chapter 39 verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you imagine? God took the time to make you exactly the way that you are. Those things that we don't like about ourselves, God made you that way. And He made you that way for a reason. And He loves you just the way that you are. God sees us as His son or His daughter. We are beautifully, we are wonderfully made, and we love Him. So God sees us, number one, He sees us as valuable. The world will throw you away. Your boyfriend, girlfriend will throw you away. Your boss at work will throw you away. But God sees you as valuable. Luke chapter 12, verse 24 says, Consider the raven, for they neither sow nor reap. They don't do anything. They don't have a storehouse, a barn. But God feeds them. He cares about them. How much more are you better than this raven? You're better than some bird. 
God takes care of the birds. You think God's not going to take care of you? You think God don't care about you and you're not valuable to Him? God sees you as valuable. Who creates the value of something? It's the person who owns it, right? I own things that you think would not be very valuable. You wouldn't give me a dime for it, but I think they're valuable, right? They hold a special place in my heart. Well, God owns us. We've given our life to Christ, and He sees us as valuable. Jaden, if you'll go ahead and come back. Getting ready to close. I told you I wouldn't be long tonight. Last thing I want you to know is that God sees you as lovable. God sees you as lovable. The world may not. You may not think that you're lovable. The devil will bring up all of your past and all of the bad things that you've done and make you think that you're completely unlovable. Nobody could love you. How could God love you when you did that? But God sees you as lovable. John 3.16. You can quote it for me, probably by heart. For God so loved you. You. Every single one of you. God loved you so much that He gave His only Son. There is no greater love than that. There is none. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10 says, The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. Everything else may happen. Everything bad may come down in your life. Everything destruction. But God still loves you. You. So when we begin to see ourselves as lovable, as valuable as God sees us, then we stop trying to please others. We understand who our master is and who we are trying to please. And we begin to understand the true meaning of life. This, these natural things, that's not it. It's Him. Serving Him. It's worshiping Him. If you'll stand with me. If you'll go ahead and bow your heads. I want to pray tonight. Father, I thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for my church family that's here tonight. Father, I thank you for this word that you've given me. Father, I, I, I pray that I have done it justice and, and spoke what you wanted me to speak. Father, right now I pray that you'll begin to move on hearts. Begin to draw people to you. Thank you, Father. So my first question I want to ask is do you see yourself the way that God sees you? I'm afraid that some of us don't. Some of us see ourselves as worthless, unlovable, but God loves you. 
So my first, I'm going to give you two invitations. My first invitation, you don't know Christ. You don't know the love that He has for you. I just want you to slip up a hand. You've never been saved. You've never asked Christ into your heart. You've never accepted this love that God has for you. That's my first invitation. My second. I would ask everybody to come down here because we have to get our perspective right for others. God sends people our way, I believe, every single day. How do we see those people? Do we share the gospel with them? Do we have an urgency about it? Or do we just let them go? Let them walk on out. And so I want you to pray with me that individually but as a church, we can begin to have this right vision, this right perspective of the lost in our community, the people around us that we see, and that we'll begin to do what God has called us to do in this community more effectively. Would you come and find a place tonight and pray?